Hey guys, we're back for episode 8. We've listened to some very interesting people so far. This next interview is with Vinita Vishwanarayan, the branding director from AstraZeneca. She's a strategy and operations leader with 12 plus years of experience driving results for external and internal clients across life sciences, healthcare, and global health. She's got TA experience in oncology, neurology, and immunology, and enteric disease vaccines with cross-business experience in strategy development, strategy planning, launch planning, market access and pricing, manufacturing, supply chain, and process development. She also has extensive international experience across North America, Europe, and Asia. In her words, she is motivated by her purpose and passion to close the gap between high patient unmet need and access to drugs. During the course of her career, Vinita made the jump from being an engineer to the commercial side of things. Her insight on career transitions and how one can take small steps to realize a new role is invaluable in this interview. This interview with Vinita was very interesting. If you pay attention closely, Vinita's answers all take into account the bigger picture. Before she gives her thoughts on a specific subject, she answers the question from a why perspective. Why do we need background information? Why do we need feedback? Why ask the question? Why ask why? I hope you guys start asking yourselves these questions as well after this interview. When I did, I certainly discovered some surprising new avenues to explore. Welcome, Vinita. So for all our audience, Vinita is the Global Branding Director at AstraZeneca. My first question for this episode, Vinita, was what was your first job and what was one piece of knowledge that you learned during this job that you still carry with yourself? Well, thanks, um, Pratik, and I'm uh, really excited to, to be here. My first job was as a process engineer with a biotech startup in Edmonton. One key piece of um, knowledge that I gained from that experience was that, you know, do what you're tasked with exceptionally well and, and focus on that. But that's that's going to get you 70% there. I think it's important and it's, it's table stakes. But beyond that, build relationships. The informal network is very important. Even starting early in your career, try to understand understand who are your advocates and also understand the macro factors that play in a company, right? Go beyond your day-to-day, do what you're doing exceptionally well, but try to look above, understand what's going on in your environment and your company and build an advocate network. Are there any specific examples that taught you these lessons from your first job? Yeah, I think, um, for example, this company was a startup and there were a number of things that were happening in the background like you know do we have investment what is the next investment phase what are the other industries or what are the other like companies that are um, um, in, in the same space and you know while I kind of focused on hey you know what's my day to day and my peers I did not understand what was happening in the background and we didn't we didn't necessarily get the investment that the company needed to continue longer term we were given three weeks notice that the company was had to be shut down because uh, there was no investment behind that and I think that Although these things are confidential, I think sometimes it's one, if you have an informal network, 
understand what are the opportunities out there, understand that you're in a startup, what are the risks and, you know, what are some of the questions you should be even asking senior management, right? At that point, even if you're kind of junior, what you need to understand, like, what is going to determine the next phase of the company? Where is the company heading? What does growth look like? And I think those are questions a lot of people probably ask, but I think for me, that was my biggest learning. You know, it wasn't enough to just be one piece of the puzzle and do that exceptionally well. It's really important to understand where you're working, make sure you have some sort of a, you know, backup plan or, or even understand what your next step is going to be. And you can only do that when you have information and you get information from your network. I I think that's a very, very interesting and unique answer that we've heard so far. What I really liked about what you said is it's not just about the specific job that you're doing as well. It's also about the organization that you work for. And in general, to track not just your success, but to track the success of the organization as well. And I think most people who like, you know, people who just start out in their careers are a little bit reserved in terms of asking those questions related to roadmaps and related to where the company is heading. I think it's important to ask those. And that's a really good piece of advice for our viewers. Yes. And I I do want to just recognize that we are in an environment that's changing where talent has a lot more value to the employer. And you are in a good position to ask those questions from your management or from your your immediate line manager, right? It's, I think we're at a different stage where there's a lot more power, I would say, for the individual, even no matter how early they are in their career. Yeah, and they're very valid questions too. You know, in your introduction, you know, you've had a pretty illustrious career. What was one turning point in your career journey that got you to where you are today? The transition that happened when I moved from a career in management consulting to working in global health stands out to me as a pivotal point in my career. I, due to personal reasons, I moved to India and I joined the Clinton Health Access Initiative, which is a global health organization, which, you know, works to uh, expand access and affordability to healthcare in developing countries. And CHAI, as I'm going to refer to them moving forward, has an organization in 72 countries. I specifically worked in the global vaccines markets team. I think what, to me, what I gained from that experience, three things. I, I realized, one, what exceptional talent looks like and really what how smart the people were how how smart um you know my peers were even at a career that was pretty early and no matter how junior or what level of the organization they were they were incredibly smart and when i say smart it's it's not just like book smart it's really like people smart emotional emotionally smart so i think from that perspective one what exact what exceptional talent looks like two how to get things done even when you don't have all the answers right how to work with that level of ambiguity and three to be comfortable with an imperfection because we don't have all the time to get the perfect answer but we need to make decisions fast and we need to get things done to have an impact on people's lives being able to work in an organization where you know i i could learn these things work with incredibly smart people i think for me that made me realize what I wanted to do in my career moving forward. And it made me realize how to bring my best self to my uh, role day to day. And and I guess, you know, finally, like, what, what does success look like? Like, how do I measure success? Um, and, and many people get that 
from externally, right? Like what, what do famous personalities look like or what do companies say success looks like, right? But for me, I got my kind of personal barometer of what success looks like. In your answer, you talk about dealing with imperfection, right? So does that mean you're like, hey, okay, something needs to get done. Let's make critical thinking and let's come up with a decision. And are you in the process of iteratively improving your process, trying to get something at the hands of, in this case, people? Or what does that entail over here? So a lot of the times you work on a deliverable, which could be like a, a deck on market research or something to make to help me to inform a decision, right? If you want to inform an investment decision, you build something that's around the business case. My point is that you may not have all the answers early, but you don't have to wait to get every answer to move this deliverable forward. Get it to what you can with all the answers you know, and then ask somebody else. Don't be afraid to ask an expert. There are other people who will bring a different perspective, pressure tested, even if it's 50% there. It took me the better half of like two weeks to give my deliverable to my manager. And he's like asking me, where is this? You know, we've been waiting for it for so long. And I gave him like perfect slides. Like, you know, everything was clean. All the bullets were lined up. The, you know, I had wordsmithed every word like multiple times. My graphs were excellent. He was like, I didn't need this level of perfection. If you gave me something like 50% there, we could draft early. We could draft often and we could get to get to where we wanted like last week but now you've given me something that's 100 there we might need to tear this down a little bit and because you know we need to take this in a different direction i had like i was so scared to share that with him until it was like 100 percent. i had thought through things from every angle but the point is you'll never know all the answers you are the sum of your experiences and the sum of your knowledge i treat to in smaller feedback groups yes and, you know, one partner early in my career always said, draft early, draft often. So I always take that with me. <laughs> you often hear that learning is continuous, right? You kind of constantly learn through your career. So what's one thing that you have had to unlearn throughout this career span that you've had? So I started my career as an engineer where, you know, I had to do very minute calculations. I, I was designing pipe sizes and flow rates. And, uh, you know, we had to get to the right calculation to design the right size piping and um, right size kind of HVAC systems and all of that. So it was important to get the calculations right. It was important to get the right answer, right? So that means you need to find what is the right input. So you have an input, you have an equation, you get an output. And for me, it was all about what's, what's the right input. And I think that level of like detail, that level of accuracy, right? I think when I stepped away from engineering into more of a commercial environment where things were less sort of certain, I think I realized that it's not about getting the right answer. It's about understanding who is asking the question and understanding why they're asking the question and what is their input. That input will vary based on who is asking the question, who is the audience. And so there's never going to be a right answer to so stop thinking about, okay, I've got this one right input. I'm, I'm going to do this calculation. I'm going to get the right output. No, it's taking a step back and saying, okay, if, if this is the audience, if this is what we're trying to achieve, this is what kind of the range of answers look like. If, if this is my stakeholder, what is it that's important to them? Why are they asking it? This is kind of the range. So it's really th taking a step back and thinking that, you know, there are multiple options. There is always multiple options. And I think that's what I kind of had to unlearn because I, 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 I was always thinking very linearly. And I think as engineers, you recognize that, right? You kind of know this is my path. 
I I can get really into the into the map map or the, the 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 detail of this equation and solve the problem and it's so exciting and you get to the answer and it's like yes I did it and then you go into like a different environment like consulting where there's no right answer you think one way and then someone just shifts it they're like no it's a completely different equation um we're thinking we need to think about this differently and you just have to deal with that fluidity and i think for me that was really from going from a linear to a lateral kind of thinking that was the biggest kind of unlearning i had to do that's really good piece of advice actually i'm gonna lead into another question which asks for advice you mentioned the career changes that you've had in terms of being an engineer versus you know moving towards the commercial side of things this is kind of becoming a popular shift i would say in today's world there are a lot of engineers who uh, like shifting to management like shifting to business development they go through it through the product development process in your opinion what is one piece of advice that you would give to someone who wants to have a similar career path honestly i i think there's no formula for this career path i my piece of advice is do what is most interesting to you today and that will open up new opportunities for what you can do tomorrow and i kind of got into this state just to remind you of my career path you know i was an engineer then you know you everyone tells you if you want to go do something else go get your mba go into consulting and then if you go into consulting you can get into a strategy position and so that was my formula right and today i'm here in brand marketing and when i talk to other brand marketers they're like well if you want to go into brand marketing you have to be 12 years in marketing you have to start your career as a senior product manager a product manager then go into like in a, a sales role and then you get into brand marketing but that's not true i came here through a different path and it's because there are people who believed in my skill they recognized the diversity of experiences that i built and gave me this opportunity and i've been very fortunate and lucky but then that's not to say i can be the only one who's this fortunate and lucky when people see talent when they see the way you think and the capabilities that you bring to the table they will give you the opportunity and if they don't give it to you it's just not the right place for you and there are companies out there that value diversity that value the difference of your experiences and your and and the way you think to give you the opportunity my advice is don't waste your time thinking that there is a checklist that i've got to do my mba then i've got to go into mckinsey and i'm going to go and do checkbox this and checkbox that and that's going to give me my final career no believe in yourself do what's most interesting excel at that be authentic to yourself like i think that's really my takeaway and it's my biggest advice not something i necessarily followed i checkboxed my way quite a bit but i don't think that's what got me to where i am today you know one thing that i caught from your answer is that you don't have to have all the qualifications to move from say one particular career path to another i think it's more about what you bring to the table and how confident you are in doing that yeah i think confidence is is really one of the most underrated things i seen people with limited capabilities and not that smart who are so extremely confident and they do get the opportunity confidence does not equal capability and i think unless we work on projecting that confidence even when you're not certain i i think that's really my advice to anybody to be quite truthful you know even when you don't feel that you're 100% qualified just believe in yourself and if you have to fake that confidence fake it at the interview because you probably are more capable than a lot of people that are competing for the same job so that's like ways into the next question so these days when you're interviewing people for your company 
apart from job qualifications, what are some traits that you're looking for in the candidate? So I think it's very easy to, to kind of go into that kind of self-reflection bias, right? So you see someone and you're like, is this person like me? And then you kind of have to, that's the kind of person you want to hire. And you see a lot of people hiring like different versions of themselves. So I think firstly, is just recognizing that bias. And, but that being said, I, I do look at, you know, did they take risks? What kind of career path did they take? Was it, again, I, I do want to be mindful of like the whole checkboxing thing, right? I'm not impressed by just brand names. And for me, I think I look at that, like if you have experiences that really speak to your capabilities, speak to things that where you've kind of pushed the needle, where you've made an impact, I think those are the stories I really want to hear and I want that authenticity to come through 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 the interview. It's about the learning agility. And I, I really look for that. I think we stop learning to ask why. You know, we ask why as a two as, as a toddler, and that's my son right now. He's asking me why all the time. And at some point I realized I stopped asking why. And I said, I don't know, I didn't ask. And that's what I learned, you know, through my career. I stopped asking why. And then when someone would ask me why, I realized, oh, I didn't ask that question. So now that's really what, I, what I've what i learned to remind and kind of also another thing that I unlearned or learned, however you want to call that, is, is just ask why, you know, and it doesn't make you look stupid or ignorant. You know, there's a certain amount of nervousness that goes along with people who are interviewing but also once you join the job there is some nervousness there as well in terms of how you project yourself because you you end up walking into a room full of experienced individuals how would you approach bringing new ideas to the table not in terms of steering the direction in a different way but just as a way to pitch something that you feel very passionate about so first write it down because when you raise your hands you'll forget what your idea was, right? So write it down on a post-it, always keep post-its. Look, it takes courage, right? It, it doesn't get easy e anytime. Like even when you're in a room full of experts, there are people smarter than you, people more knowledgeable than you. So it takes courage. So I guess be courageous, write down your answer on a note and look at it. Like, do you actually think it's a good answer? Do you think it's a good idea? Uh, because sometimes you definitely get excited and then you just want to make sure that, that do a sense check, right? But then ask and say, hey, I am new. I do not know if this has been discussed before. So caveat it. I would propose or I would recommend X, Y, Z. What do you guys think? Have you thought about this before? So, so I think there's a way to do it. But you know what? A lot of the times people haven't thought about it. And even if they have, you're like, okay, great. Um, I'm as smart as you. You know, you've already thought about it. So it's a good thing. So I, I really think this is just something in an individual level. It's about confidence building. It's about taking the risk. And it's about being prepared to, to deliver that in a way to say, hey, I recognize this is a conversation that might have already been had, but here's an idea. You hear a lot of talk about work-life balance, right? These days, like, yeah, you open LinkedIn. It's like work-life balance, advocacy around, hey, eight hours of work, nine hours of work type stuff. So what can an employee do? Or what do you tell your peers or people who report up to you? And how can they? 
consciously maintain a work-life balance? I think it's not just on the employee, right? It's on the manager, it's on the team leader to set that kind of culture of expectation. So don't go about sending emails at 11 p.m. and ask for an immediate response and no one's going to get sleep that night. So I think it's the, it's it's on the manager. And honestly, I, you know, I've seen some really good managers do that where they don't answer emails and they don't send emails at a certain time. But everybody works around the clock. So I've seen really good examples where someone will be like, I know this email is not coming to you at like a, a, a time that is convenient for you, but it's a convenient time for me to send that email. So I don't need an immediate response. This can wait till, uh, you know, tomorrow or, or next week. So so I think one like tactical thing is to just say when you expect a response in an email. And I think that's something a manager can do really well. From an employee standpoint, I think it's important to set boundaries, you know, block your calendar. If you realize that you're in a team where nobody follows an eight to five schedule, just block like hours that you can go do, you know, get get exercise or or do any of your like chores because no one's gonna disturb you in a time that that you are are you know, really putting boundaries and, and communicating those boundaries to your team. So I think it's two ways. It's up to the manager to to set that expectation. If you are sending emails, make sure you communicate when you're expecting a response. From an employee perspective, it's really setting boundaries and, and making sure your, your personal commitments are communicated to your manager to say, I'm not available at a certain time. You know, one of the things that you mentioned in your earlier answers was that there's a distinction between what you do in your daily job versus what you do outside of it. In general, at least for me, what I believe is it's equally important to work on things outside of your 40-hour uh, work week to further your career, just as it is important to work inside of that 40-hour work week. So for someone who's looking to start that work, what advice would you give? Where, where should they start? So I, I think everything is incremental, right? Like 40 hours, like we don't really just work 40 hours. We work 45 hours. We work 50 hours. So I think it depends on what your energy is after that and what you want to actually get to as your next phase of life, right? For example, when I started off my career, I knew that I wanted to apply to, to do my MBA. So I would balance like studying after work and, and doing my GMAT and doing my MBA applications and, you know, speaking to alumni of the different schools and doing my research. So it's really about what is it that you want to do next so what where are you today what do you want to do next what's going to get you there and then plan to use your time outside of your work to do that and I mean it like it's not I don't think there's like a, a formula I think it's a question of like I want to spend one hour or two hours of my day after work thinking about what my next move is and in order to do that I need to speak to some people okay so let me look up on LinkedIn who are people that are in, in a profession that I'm interested in I'll reach out to them I'll send a couple of LinkedIn uh, notes and they're available for a chat and do that so I think it's just something that you you find what your purpose is and what is it that you're trying to get to and then you build a plan work backwards from there and that's what you dedicate your time to doing if it's I think I need to upskill in a certain area then I, I might spend some time doing a course uh, on Coursera so I think it's really taking it step by step because it can be overwhelming but really looking at what your energy level is in that day do I have one hour to just do this micro task or do I want to spend my whole weekend like finishing this you know course on Coursera to come up with a plan come set small milestones like yeah. and then build up uh, incrementally 
rather than having a huge chunk and getting overwhelmed with it. I just wanted to take this towards organization and some questions and thoughts around organization. And you work in consulting, so there's a lot of competition, like the landscape keeps changing uh, on a day-to-day basis. Two questions. The first question is, what does an employee need to do to stay ahead of the curve? And B, what does an organization need to do to stay ahead of the curve? Let me start with the employees. I think employees need to to be trained. So if you are, you are in an area where you think you need to be upskilled, it's investing in self-study. And, and you know what the job requires and you know where things are going. So I think you can do that. I think like obviously self-study is a pretty rigorous way of, of trying to, to get upskilled. But I think talking to people helps, right? Like leverage your alumni network, really understand how the industry is shaping up. Talk to people on LinkedIn and ask them, hey, how do you think this 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 industry is going to evolve? What are some of your biggest challenges? What are you having a, a hard time you know, finding in, in terms of like your, when you're hiring your, in your team. So that gives you a sense of what are the gaps and, or what are things that you would want to, to see in a new employee. And that kind of tells you where the industry is headed. When you know what that is, then you decide whether you need some sort of formal training or it's a question of reading up some articles or like, you know, journals or something to get up to speed on those areas. From a company perspective, that's the second part of your question. Companies need to invest in their workforce. They need to understand what are the new capabilities that are required and then invest in training their workforce in terms of either like a capability development, uh, organizational transformation to make sure they're actually either building those capabilities in the objectives, in the objective goals of employees or, or deploying training programs so those employees are getting organically trained in their day-to-day. I think that's very important for companies to do so that as a whole, the organization is shifting in, in the direction that they need. And for me, an example at AZ is that, you know, I just attended a course on uh, omni-channel marketing, and that's really where the industry is heading. It was an excellent course after the organization had, you know, done multiple reviews of the training content, spoken to experts, and it was re- relevant. And now the company is really investing in training everybody in that area. So for me, I think that shows to the the investment that they're making in a certain area and digitization is, is really where things are headed. You spoke about earlier in the interview, you spoke about the different inputs that we're getting from different people and what how that shapes what you're working on. You're also in a position where I'm assuming you work very closely with your customer base. How do you think an organization can react to the ever-changing need from their customer base? So I think it's three things. One is, is that, you know, it goes without saying you need to stay close to your customer. So make sure you invest in market research, make sure you have qualitative, qualitative interviews, um, understand your customer and make sure you invest in that kind of market research. Two, it is asking the right questions. So what are their needs today and how is it going to change tomorrow, right? What's, what is, how is it going to evolve? And then three, it's what capabilities do I need to address their needs tomorrow? And what do I need to do today? to make sure that I'm ready when tomorrow comes. Interesting. So it kind of leads into a little bit of 
innovative thinking as well from an organization mm-hmm. standpoint. So when we talk about innovative thinking, right, like at least for me personally, in a research organization, you are always at crossroads in terms of, hey, can this problem be solved with existing capabilities or do I need to invent a new capability to tackle this problem? How do you view both of these types of thinking and how does one lean or, or go with one approach over the other? I think first the company needs to understand what is the cost of not innovating. Like, do I lose talent? Do I lose customers? How does that impact my business? What is the top line impact? And how does it impact stakeholders? So I think really holistically understanding stakeholders and shareholders, right? What is the cost of not innovating? Um, I think secondly, it's how much do we need to innovate? Is it, are we talking incremental innovation versus transformational innovation, right? So that is going to determine how much you will need to invest in innovation. So you understand the cost of not innovating, you understand how much you need to invest and how much you can invest. And then the third piece is where the company is in its life cycle. Are they at a stage where they're growing? Are they a mature company? Um, how do they how how are they position against their competitors? And I think that will determine, I think that's the third piece of what kind of innovation do we need, right? And and how quickly do we need to get there? Because if you're in, a, in an industry that's declining, you know, you are a company that is potentially not really changed in, in so many years. I think that's going to really determine the, the type and, and scope of innovation that is required. So I think addressing these three areas are going to give you the answer in terms of what kind of innovation, how quickly do you need to innovate, where your competitors are, and how much to invest. Earlier on in the interview, you mentioned that you found your way to define success for yourself. But you held back from us a little bit and kept it a secret. So I'm going to ask you our final question. How would you define success? It changed a lot <laughs> over the years, but truly, I think for me, it's it's really this Japanese concept of ikigai, which is about balancing doing what you love, um, doing what you're good at, um, doing what you're paid to do, and doing what the world needs. And, and for me, that's really that balance of, you know, these four components, if I feel like I'm doing that through my day-to-day on a personal and a professional level, that's success for me. And I, I firmly believe that that's what keeps me moving and keeps me motivated to do my work every day. Well, that's, that's a great answer. Um, oh, that was wonderful. So, uh, Vinita, thank you so much for joining us on the EITF project. It's been great chatting with you, and uh, you know, it's going to be fun to see how uh, our audience reacts to this interview as well. It was it was really amazing, and and I loved your enthusiasm to answer all of, all of our questions. Um, I don't think I've seen anyone just jump to an answer, but I think you just had them all there. Um, that was and cool. I. And I love the statistics part you threw uh, in one of your answers. And I was like, oh, wow, I didn't know the statistics. So that's uh, something that I learned. No, absolutely. Thanks for the opportunity, Karthik and Nandini. Happy to be here and share my experiences with you. So thanks. Thank you. Thank you.